Greetings, I'm Louise Palenker. And I'm Fritz Coleman. We are Media Path Podcast, and we've noticed that our country is very divided right now. We are fractured between two opposing points of view. People who like reality TV and people who hate it. <laughs> I tend to be a moderate. I hate the shows where fancy ladies... You're not moderate. Here, let me explain my point of view, or my, my reality ideology. I hate the shows where fancy ladies bicker over who showed up late to a party, and I love the social experiments, which can reveal so much about human nature, like Survivor, The Bachelor, and Big Brother. So the contest shows, where you have to use strategy, and also your only social connections are the people you're competing against. I find that very fascinating. So we'll be talking Big Brother and Lula Rich with Reality Blurred host and creator Andy Dennert. And reality TV YouTuber and podcaster, Kamisha Reviews. But first, Fritz, what have you been enjoying this week? Okay, well, I, I, I'm going to recommend this to everybody. But if, if you are, say, a boomer or a pre-boomer uh, or an anti-boomer, no, that would be a pre-boomer, uh, this is probably going to mean more to you. But it's the Muhammad Ali series on PBS. It's four two-hour episodes. It's Ken Burns, but really, I think his daughter Sarah and her husband David McMahon are the ones responsible for this, but Ken just has, he's the hes the hood ornament on the whole thing, and it's his amazing work. This is a deep dive into the life of one of the best-known figures in the 20th century, Cassius Clay, who became Muhammad Ali as he joined the Nation of Islam later on in his career. He was the consummate showman and what was really interesting, I always wondered how he was so able to manipulate the press and everything, and you finally learned. He studied professional wrestler Gorgeous George. Gorgeous George in the 40s and 50s was this famous professional wrestler, really the guy that put it on the map, and how George pranced and preened and made himself bigger than life. And when he entered the ring, people booed, but in truth, you knew they loved him. And the secret was that Ali had the speed, the grace, and the power to back up his braggadocia, and it just made for a great entertainment package. There are four episodes, round one called The Greatest, 1942 to 1964, round two called What's My Name? He resented it when his opponents would not stop calling him Cassius Clay and would uh, not call him Muhammad Ali, and he made many of them pay a nasty price in the ring for this disrespect. Round three is on tonight at 8 o'clock, then they rebroadcast it at 10. It's called The Rivalry. It's 1970 through 1974. It talks about his most intense rivalry with Joe Fraser. And then the fourth one called Round Four, The Spell Remains. This is 1974 through 2016. He has this miraculous comeback against George Foreman, and then he goes on to become the most famous person on the planet. This is a story of a great man becoming himself. In other words, after Ali becomes the world champion, he wants to set himself free. He wants to worship the way he wants to worship. He wants to be called the name he chooses. He said Cassius Clay was his slave name. He doesn't want to act the way the world expects him to act as a black man or as a man, period. He wants to be free. And it's, it's a wonderful story in his classic way. Ken Burns is the best documentarian ever. Oh, yeah. He, he, he's, a, he's a poet. And I think that in Muhammad Ali, a lot of people saw themselves. So when they saw him just going for it and, and being himself, it kind of inspired. Yeah. You know, he was of of the age. 
Yeah. You know, there was just... And they have all the Cosell interactions, which are really funny. They both knew their part in this this uh, dramedy that was going on. It was really oh, cool. Oh, that. Yeah, you're right. Like a comedy team. Mm-hmm. Like, all right. So I've been listening to the South Lake podcast. South Lake, Texas seems to have it all. Stately homes, deep civic pride, and above all, terrific schools. So when a video surfaced in 2018 showing South Lake High School students chanting the N-word, and when black residents came forward to share stories of racist harassment and bullying, the school board vowed to make changes. But the unveiling of the Cultural Competence Action Plan set off a backlash that consumed South Lake, fueled by a national crusade against critical race theory, even though people really had no idea what that actually was. Hosted by NBC News national reporter Mike Hixenbaugh and NBC News correspondent Antonia Hilton, South Lake tells the story of how one idyllic city became the test case for a new right-wing political strategy with national repercussions. It seems that the folks on the right are very good at tapping on exposed nerves and inciting outrage. Those nerves tend to be connected to muscles resistant to and terrified of change or even an equity alignment. Somewhat mysteriously, racists hate being called racist. So much of racism in America is snide and subtle and arrogantly racist believe that preserving this tradition is their white privilege. Calling them on it threatens their view of themselves as good people. The problem is that children are not subtle. They go to school and overtly are repeating what their parents have said in the privacy of a home. The root problem with racist kids is, of course, their racist parents. Thus, the violent pushback to what should be welcomed lessons in community decency. So this is just my view, Fritz. People being people and racists being racist, it may be a better approach to facilitate learning through discovery, empathy, and epiphany. Institute curriculum that cannot possibly be labeled critical race theory. There are programs such as Challenge Day, which was depicted in the MTV show called If You Really Knew Me, which are designed to break down stereotypes and unite students through the discovery of human experiences. So cruelty in schools is about more than racism. There's all kinds of ways that kids will uh, align themselves against other kids or that kids will pick somebody with a big nose or who's disabled or who's LGBTQ or whatever There's all kinds of ways that kids are horrible to each other. And the Challenge Day model, and I'm not sure if these programs still exist because this MTV show is fairly old, but if you can watch it, I I have links to it here. It's absolutely the most moving piece of work that I've ever seen because it takes – the groups are kind of like they put kids together in in groups where you'll have a jock and a nerd, a kid from every pod of the high school, and they have to sit together and say, if you really knew me, you'd know – And with this dialogue, they begin to reveal pieces of themselves, like my father berates me constantly, or, you know, my mother died when I was seven, or they say something vulnerable, and that inspires other people to say something vulnerable. And from that day forward, they don't walk down the hallways and see each other the same ways. It's easy to just ostracize someone that you don't know. The problem is you have to have both willing parties come to the table to make that work. And and this podcast, which has blown up, apparently, as I'm reading the M- NBC website, is just another symptom of the chasm. It's the it's the anti-vax, it's the vaccine hesitancy, it's everything. It's this big grand canyon that we're communicating across in this country now. But why are people so resistant to opening up their heart and their mind to make adjustments? It, it's as Fear. if you're, you're threatening their very existence. Fear. That, that, that's that's why Donald Trump was the president for four years. It's people afraid that they're old. What they feel is the basic American 
uh, uh, structure. Uh, the basic American life is going away, and they're freaked out about it. This predominantly white um, uh, uh, middle-class society is all going away, and it's not the way they remembered America or wanted it ever to be, and that's what it is. It's fear. Well, there has to be ways that we can bridge it and make things less terrifying no. for people because there really isn't anything to be afraid of. You know, you can, on, you can only enrich your life by knowing more people and knowing more about more people. So that's my take on it. All right. So we're going we're gonna to please welcome Andy Dennert, who hosts and runs the Reality Blurred website on which he writes about himself. I'm Andy Dennert, a writer who obsessively and critically covers reality TV, focusing on how it's made and what it means. I created Reality Blurred 20 years ago as a place to collect interesting links. I review and recommend reality shows, documentaries, and nonfiction entertainment, analyze news reports from behind the scenes, and interview people who create and star in reality TV shows. You'll also find here other people's insightful takes on reality TV. I believe pop culture can both entertain and affect us, and so our goal at Reality Blurred is to amplify the best and hold the worst accountable. In other words, I'm here to call it out when it sucks and celebrate it when it's amazing. Let's talk about it together. So Andy, tell us, first of all, how you put your website together. Did it begin as a MySpace page or how has it evolved into what you have today? Yeah, no, it was uh, just uh, 20 years ago. So 2000, uh, was, I created it on blogger.com actually uh, in the, the very early days of, of blogging. And I had been playing around with HTML and coding and other stuff for a while. So it was something I was at least familiar with. It was a little more difficult back then to publish a, a website. Um, but yeah, and I essentially created it as a place to, to share and talk um, about what was interesting to me that I was watching. Um, I'd actually recapped a season of The Real World a year earlier um, as a freelance gig and then got fired from that uh, because my new editor and I didn't get along very well. And so uh, I created Reality Blurred as a result of, of that, just not having an outlet to to talk about this stuff. And, and it's it's really evolved since then as, as the description you, just, you read um, alludes to, but uh, yeah, so now I do much more in-depth stuff. Like, in, you know, I think my very first post was a sentence or two, um, and I just published a 17,000-word uh, piece about The Amazing Race Season 1 um, and how it was produced behind the scenes. So <laughs> it's very it's very different than it was in those early days. Wow, that's, that's really exciting how you turned something negative into a positive. You said, all right, fine, I'm going to use this to inspire me. And you went ahead and created your your vision of what you know, this content could be and could could look like. And now you're your own boss. Your your site is very slick. It's very smooth. It maneuvers really beautifully. And it's uh, it's fun to scroll through. And then your writing is outstanding. It's excellent. So fill us in. What is going on this season on Big Brother? Because I just find it entirely inspiring. Yeah. Um, well, I think I, I it's definitely been a really great season of Big Brother. And I think the best way to talk about the fact that it's been a good season is to talk about um how terrible the show has been for most of its life um just two years ago uh big brother um had one black woman on the cast uh, who a producer asked to talk and act in a more stereotypical manner during her interviews because she wasn't acting you know quote unquote black enough whatever that means uh, or whatever that meant to that producer um and back then I, I asked cbs executives about it and tried to get them to hold themselves accountable for the show's racism and bigotry and sexism and homophobia that had been on the air for years and years and streaming live to the internet on the live feeds and they you know just kind of dismissed it as being one 
bad Apple producer, um, which of course is what always happens when systems protect themselves. Um, and and I, I share all this, like we could, we could talk for hours about how awful Big Brother has been in the past, but um, last year CBS made a, a change for the better, which was they said that their reality TV show casts had to at least be half um, BIPOC people um, and not uh, just majority white, which is what they had been in the past. And majority white casts um, on both Survivor and Big Brother especially um, had historically um, identified or at least like uh, targeted in the game um, people who were minorities in the house. So um, Black women, for example, would go home early on Survivor. Um, and that sort of started increasing over time and people were ostracized in other ways. And um, so by increasing the diversity of the cast, number one, you just make a better show. Uh, and so the show has been better because it's had a cast that is not all the same. Um, and two, it's made possible uh, an alliance of contestants this season who's um, basically just decided to work together. And as a result of that and what they did has never been done on Big Brother, which is an alliance of six people made it to the final six. Like this is a show that, um, you know, a game that basically uh, thrives on chaos and, and people turning on each other and stabbing each other in the back and all those kinds of things. And this group stuck together um, and they are all um, black people. And that means that for the first time in its history, Big Brother will have a black winner, um, which is remarkable that that hasn't happened already, but I think also speaks to some of the systemic issues um, that we were just talking about a moment ago. Wheezy, for the unschooled Big Brother viewer or the okay. first time Big Brother viewer, we're, we need a glossary of terms here. How does this game work? So it starts out with 16 or so people that move into a soundstage that's built to look like a house. They're being photographed constantly 24-7. The rules of the game are that as the summer proceeds, they vote each other out. So the way that that happens is like in Survivor, you know, they can vote someone off the island. Well, in Big Brother, they have all these competitions. One of them is called Head of Household, HOH. The Head of Household can nominate two people on the block. And then on eviction night, one of those two people is going home. So by the end of the summer, you're down to two people and all of the people that have been voted out, or at least half of the people that have been voted out, they comprise the jury, and the jury votes for one of the two remaining people to win the game. It works the same on Survivor, but in Big Brother, you're put up on the block. Two people are put up on the block by the head of household. And uh, an alliance is like a block of people that would never vote out a certain person. So if one of their alliance members is on the block, they would never vote out that person. The, cook the alliance is called the cookout. And I guess it began on day one or day two, people walking into the house and deciding to work together, even though they were kind of like put on teams to sort of avoid those bro cliques that, you know, voted out everybody that wasn't you know part of the popular table or whatever it seemed to it seemed to align along sort of high school kind of stereotypical lines because they CBS thought that they had to have like you know hot people in the sun working out and laying by pools and maybe big brother is popular in the south i have no idea what you know who their target audience is or you know what they how they feel about how things have transpired this season but it just seems to me that like when a white person w walks into a traditionally white environment and sees someone they don't know, they see a stranger. And when a black person walks into a traditionally white environment and sees another black person, they see a friend. So to me, it it makes perfect sense that they said, hey, let's do this. And I remember a couple seasons ago, there were a couple of black women on the show that, that tried to work together. But, you know, after a while, they just couldn't hold it together. I, I can't remember their names. I'm not good at remembering the names of reality show contestants because they're too many. But Kamisha, how do you feel about the cookout and what they've achieved this summer? Okay, to be frank, the cookout in the beginning 
for myself, people of color, was a celebration. But I'm also a big competitor, and I've watched Big Brother for years, even though I have not been happy with um, the, not the, the no inclusion or anything like that. But when the cookout first, you know, started out, it was a, a really a good thing. But I started seeing cracks, you know, within the cookout, and I kind of knew where it was going, and it put me in a negative state watching the cookout and I've gotten a lot of negative feedback because of it, because yes, I'm going to celebrate the cookout because they are people of color and it's the first time and all these things. But I feel like that women, cause I'm a black woman first. I'm a, I'm a black, yes, but I'm a black woman too. So I get frustrated because I knew I predicted this. I said, something's going to happen next year because of all the dragging that happened to last season, the way Bay and Davon were treated with Christmas and all that crap. And so I knew this season, something's going to happen. You have Canada. We have the first person of color. CBS was like, we gotta, we gotta do something, man. We, we know that they were gone a little bit longer this time for that reason. They had to clean up, clean it up. Mm-hmm. So when it was six of them in there, and as you stated earlier, when we see each other, it is an automatic thing. Like, okay, we're boom, we're together. It really is like that. Um, but I knew even with all this greatness that's happening, I said, a woman, whether that woman is black or white, I said, it won't happen. It's going to always be a man, black man or a white man. So, and I know that we haven't got to the very last show. I'm just saying because I predicted this last year. I said, something's going to happen because of all this controversy, but I, I, what I wanted, what I wanted to see is a, a black woman win, because when Davon played last season, I loved Davon, but she wasn't a winner. What I mean by that, she wasn't winning the competitions. If you, regardless of what you say, if you go into something like this, you have to win competitions in order to be able to be empowerment decisions and all these things. And she wasn't like you know that. Bay was kind of more of that, and she, I feel like Bay got sabotaged. Bailey got sabotaged a lot, uh, and be rather but. In this season, Tiffany, I felt like, kind of took that role where she was like, okay, I'm going to be all these different things. I'm going to be one to be strategic, smart. I think Davon was also be a mixture of Bailey where I can win competitions as well. And when she won the second HOH and when Xavier and uh, Kylan, or more Xavier than anything, started just really going crazy and so upset and angry because she won two HOHs. I'm like, this is like the first thing ever. It's great to have these people of color for the first time being in the house. These are, these are things to celebrate. It's wonderful. But well, why not keep going? You have a black woman. And it got- felt like, you know, what their goal was is to yes. get, you know, six be- black people to the end, which they successfully resisted. Yes. They resisted their instinct to you know, blow up the coalition earlier in the game because of the social pressure that exists in the world right now for black people to represent. But when it got down to the final six, the whole patriarchy thing was still very firmly in place. And the yes. women and then on a double eviction night, the two women and Tiffany, who's probably going to win. America's favorite player. Yes, she I, I is. think she is. And, and then maybe even have a career beyond this because she's just so engaging. But yes. uh, let me get your, your take on that, uh, Andy. Uh, I, I just think, I mean, Tiffany, we need to give her credit for the, she's the person who created this alliance and from the beginning and decided this. And also it was just a fascinating alliance because they all, all the six people in the alliance partnered with other people in the house to use essentially as pawns should they end up um, targeted together. And it was just a brilliant strategy that no one caught on to the entire time. And Tiffany as the mastermind, I think that makes her a target for sure. Um, and it's always interesting when an alliance succeeds, and that's rare in reality TV, back to 
season one of Survivor, we had that final four and to watch what happens when they turn on each other. <laughs> I think I, I agree with Kamisha, just there's some sadness associated here with the fact that the person who made this happen, whose idea it was, is now not going to win the $750,000 prize. And, um, you know, she will definitely go down in reality TV history for that contribution and and that can change, but it's too bad that the, um, yes. you know, that the, the six players had turned on her as they did. Yes. But I guess they saw her as a threat. Could you each talk about negative reaction on the internet or in the world regarding people forming on the alliance based around the culture and race? It's, to me, it seems triumphant. Other people are using words like reverse racism and things of that nature. Like, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm just going to say yeah. briefly that um, I got accused of that as well. People, I got a lot of, like, I had to turn a video comments off on YouTube and one of the videos where I actually titled it is the cookout racist. It really became a storm for me on YouTube where people literally said they're racist. But when I literally broke down and brought up all the other alliances, even though it wasn't a race driven, whatever, but their actions showed otherwise with the alliance last year when Cody and all them you know, blindsided, got everybody, knocked everybody down, including Nicole at the very end. When the Davon and Bailey had the opportunity, I can't remember which um which HOH it was, they immediately took them out first before anyone else. And I always looked at it like, okay, well, you could have picked anybody, but you picked the two black women in the house to make sure they wouldn't get your H. I don't know. I just feel like the negativity that they're saying that Cook got is racist to me is crazy because it's a, a history. It hasn't been done before. Why is that looked at as racist? Because they want to make history because it hasn't been done before. You, I feel like that, uh, uh, you know, the white groups, I'm not saying it was just a white driven thing, but they were white, all of them, and yeah. they demolished everybody. They mm -hmm. was uh, a different race or something was different about them. Uh, like people said, the pretty people, the popular people, the cheerleader in the jock, mm -hmm. they were the ones that won. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, um, you know, Big Brother has had a ton of explicit and implicit racism over its history. And this group of fans that's being particularly vocal right now about, you know, screaming reverse racism, which of course doesn't actually exist, um, or is just mad about this success of this group of black players. I, I think it's just transparently racist on their behalf. And for them to not have noticed or cared in the past when there was literally explicit racism, and for them to now freak out when six black people work together and succeed. Um, and like, that is literally, you know, if you if you've watched the show in the bit in live feeds, and I will be the first to admit I have not watched every second of footage. But what I have seen and what I've read from people who have watched every moment is that this alliance did not get together and decide to target white people. Yet somehow white people and especially white Big Brother fans or a group of them um, feel somehow threatened by this. That when you know a group of black players succeeded, that's somehow an attack on them instead of just incredible success on the behalf yes. of an alliance and that's yes. really disappointing but you know big brother basically has a group of racist fans and if you look on social media uh on any official cbs post you'll see them in the comments and um it's pretty disgusting very yeah. nobody said anything at all about jessica and everything that happened to them and those in the house and you know when, when all that happened and when the house with david 
nobody said anything about how blatantly it was racist, just the things that happened. But this season is such a targeted situation. It's for me, it's very, very frustrating. I had to leave my commentary from Big Brother because I was constantly being attacked. And not that I can, I can handle it, but it's just, it's irritating. Why am I being attacked for celebrating people of color in their house when it hasn't happened before? Mm-hmm. And you keep giving me this whole same thing where it's like, oh, Tamar won. Okay, you know, that's insulting. Yes, Tamar, and I'm, as a fan of Big Brother, not to be funny or anything, celebrity Big Brother is not equal to the regular Big Brother. Okay. So saying, that Tamar, so saying that Tamar won that, and I'm constantly hearing that, is completely disgusting that's I'm, i was happy she won but it's almost like she won so are you good now it's and, yeah and that's not how the world works or should work go ahead fritz I, I just wanted to know what kind of a relationship you have with the shows big brother and others i mean you're you're spinning the plates for them you're keeping uh the conversation alive about that shows do they support the fact that you're supporting them or are they cautious about how they treat you because you know the good and the bad shows up on your sites yeah, um, I, I think for me, um, I'm, you know, I'm a, a journalist and a critic and I'm uh, independent in terms of what I choose to cover. Um, I don't ask for access from CBS, but I also probably wouldn't get it if I did ask. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. I covered Survivor uh, on location a few times and then suddenly uh, just as a journalist, I paid my own way all the way to the a few uh, shooting locations and then CBS wasn't really happy with what I was writing and, you know, stopped inviting me. And that's certainly their prerogative. Um, I don't, you know, I think in, in an ideal world, networks are would prefer that we didn't uh, offer this kind of criticism. And you may you make a good point that there is a degree to which the criticism does sort of continue to fuel interest in the show and um, or in, in any reality TV well, show. Well, I'm not talking about the criticism. I'm just talking about the conversation because here we are talking about these things that are in the past. Great, great, great. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was just going to say that as far as CBS is concerned, um, they most of the time have certain bloggers, um, whether it's YouTube or whatever, to, um, you know, promote or do interviews. Or most of the time they just use um, old vet alums from Big Brother because I have been trying to contact CBS and their PR because I um, would love to interview. This is this is historical for me as a blogger, and I've covered Big Brother for years to be able to um, interview um, the cookout. Um, I haven't gotten any response or anything, but the question as far as starting the conversations, um, it sparked a lot of my channel. Um, I've gotten like hate and positivity. I will say that. And, and I'm, I'm in chats. I'm sorry. I'm in comments having full blown conversations or debates, so to speak, because they either didn't agree with what I said or they did. And so I'm, it's, 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 it's interesting. And it's uh, I like the dialogue. I'm not going to lie. It'll be interesting. It gets to be a little much sometimes. Yeah, no, for sure. It'll be interesting to to see what happens when the season is over and when all the members of the cookout are out of the house and talking to the press. Hopefully, Mm. you'll get a chance to talk to them. But like, are they going to be are they going to be receiving love or hate online when they once again walk amongst us? I just hope it doesn't (laughs) that people aren't fearful that from this moment forward, whenever you walk into the Big Brother house, you're going to be forming alliances based on you know skin tone and things of that nature. I. I hope it's a positive thing moving forward and not something that, you know, creates a backlash. That's frustrating. Why would that even be? Why would that even be to me? Because it's like. And I even someone, someone of a person of color I was talking to about this, it was like, you know, this won't even happen again. And I said myself, I don't think it ever will. Um, I think it might maybe put one or two, maybe three in the house, but it will never be six. That's just my opinion. But why would that even be an issue? 
um, if that was to go on, whether if it was Hispanics who did whatever, why would they even be a problem if that was to happen? Because I got black flash saying I don't bring up Hispanics or different races. I just say that what it is, people, if you're on an alliance, whether there hasn't been a women's alliance, which I constantly fight for and, and, and argue about, mm-hmm. there has never been a, a women's alliance that lasted longer than the first two weeks that actually succeeded, got the women to the end. That's what I'm looking for. I know I'm black and I say all the time, I'm a woman. I've never seen that unity in the Big Brother house over all 22 years. It's and hard. that's it's, I want to see. Yeah, and it's that's a whole other conversation because it's difficult. I, I feel like it's difficult for a female alliance to stick together because women are so easily influenced by men, mm-hmm. <laughs> by mm-hmm. cute men. And it's it's really hard to keep your, you know, emotions out of it when you're living with yes. these people 24-7. And, you know, it, I, I'm kind of uh, proud of Aja this this season because even though she's admitted that she does have a, a crush on Xavier, she still put him up on the block, you know. I mean, she's still doing what she needs to do as a player in the game. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I have to disagree. Aja did that because she really kind of didn't have a choice. Aja should have and i colin should have got rid of xavier and should have kept tiffany yeah i have had a crush on xavier this entire time and and her she's played an emotional game the fact that the fact that they kept behind big d and Azza, and i'm sorry i love them i love them to death but the people who actually carried the cookout along with colin hannah and tiffany you send them out it's very frustrating for me to talk about it because i no, I feel like Aza and BD should have been already gone. Yeah, it but Aza. when it comes down to end game, people tend to keep around weak players. When it comes down to end game, which they are in, you keep around Derek F., which P.S. is the son of uh, Joe Frazier. Uh, Fritz. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Wow. He's a very yeah, engaging fellow, but he hasn't done anything except be fun to be around. X is the alpha male who's running the household. People don't mm-hmm. even realize they're being run by him. They're all being run by him. That's Xavier. Uh, Kylan is kind of a wannabe alpha male, but he's winning a lot of competitions, so it keeps him in control. And Aza, I feel like Aza and Derek F. haven't done a ton, but it makes sense to me game-wise that Tiffany and Hannah, two smart people, even though they're women and I wanted them to stay, at that yes. point in the game that they would go because people are afraid to vote out Xavier. You want to go against the one that you don't know if you're going to be behind, and they did nothing. So I feel like Big D, or at least nothing else, because Big D kind of kept everybody together and he did a little funny whatever. But Aza played in such an emotional game, he literally slept all the time, wanted to protect Brittany at all costs, and, and didn't win anything. And, mm-hmm. and had crushed on Xavier and was mad because he liked Alicia. I just... <laughs> You're she done. Have gone You're home. done. I get I'm, it. I'm just... <laughs> Andy, what are you hearing from production or from people behind the scenes? Because we want an inside look at at these shows because they we find them so captivating. So by being a reporter on the set, what have you learned that you can share with us? So I I have not been on set or or even honestly to be in, in contact with anyone who's associated with this season. Um, just that's just. So I've been watching it in the same way that we all have. I can say, you know, years ago, um, I toured the house along with other members of the Television Critics Association, and we went behind the scenes. And oh, I will wow. just say that, like, that it's it's a house that's built in half a soundstage, mm-hmm. and it is extremely small and mm-hmm. claustrophobic. And just we walked through it while they were in the backyard playing in a challenge. And I can't imagine living in there uh, with, you know, 15 other people wow. for three months. Yeah. Um, and... I, so it gave me some empathy for the contestants. And, and I think one of the things we're talking about too is is both what these contestants are going to face in the real world, which um, happens to 
reality TV contestants on all shows and whether they're playing a game or just living their lives, like there's a lot of reaction that people give because they're convinced that what they see on television is the unedited, raw, unvarnished truth. And the interesting thing about Big Brother in the thing that makes it, I think, something that I continue to pay attention to, even though it's been such a disaster over the years, is that there are the live feeds. And so you get to watch in the house for the most part, they the producers are pretty heavy handed with the sensor button sometimes uh, and cutting off our access to if something's happening. Um, but it still gives you a sense of like what raw footage looks like and then comparing that to the edited broadcast and what gets left out, how conversations are sort of condensed and edited. And, and of course they are like, and we all know this, that what we're seeing is not, you know, a, a raw transcript of life, but there is something very powerful about television images and it convinces people who watch that what they see is a hundred percent reality and that is just not the case even on big brother which gives us the closest look to a real-time production that we could possibly have and you were talking on your website about how there have been people edited out of scenes who have said racist things and if you were watching the feeds you would know that that's that they were there saying those things right yeah, they've, they've, there were, um, you know, several fights that I can remember where people, um, yeah, exactly, would say um, would say racist things, would use mm -hmm. slurs, would um, attack other people, and then the edited version of the fight would get rid of those slurs, and CBS's excuse was like, well, we're not going to give airtime to that, but now it suddenly sanitizes them and makes them look wonderful to the, you know, and the majority of people are not watching on the internet. The majority of people are not following along the live feeds on Twitter or um, Instagram or whatever they are or people talking about it. I mean, um, the majority of people are just tuning into the CBS broadcast and so they're getting a really sanitized version. And if, you know, Big yeah. Brother is willing to use CG and literally edit people out of scenes, uh, who knows what, other, you know, like the, they're clearly not concerned about reflecting reality as it is, um, which is which is rather disappointing. Was there a change in leadership when they cast when they made that announcement about how we're going to be casting more people of color on Survivor on what is it Love Island or what are all the shows that and even The Bachelor, which is on ABC, seems to have like more and more representation. Have, is this something that they, they feel that just public pressure to do or is this something that they consciously want to do or yes. have, have learned is much more interesting to they watch? Really, they really had no other choice, especially with The Bachelor. And I know that when they changed um, the one that did the casting on Big Brother, things changed. Um, the Bachelor, when everything would happen with the host and all the things that he said, they made changes because um, that was the first when Matt, Matt season. Mm -hmm. And so many things happened that season the behind the scenes was we really got to change because of how we're looking because if you go to like um i sometimes i follow the bachelor franchise on clubhouse there was a cultural brewing that was saying that people from the past people of color were treated a certain type of way i'm pretty sure you know, the bachelor doesn't call out the clubhouse but they they get wind of these things they have people that watch these things or bots or pr people and at the med season it's so different we have two bachelorettes for the first time, you know, one that's a person, a person of color, one that's not a person of color. And a lot of it happened to, I'm sorry, it came from, that's what happened in Matt's season. If they happened the last two seasons of Big Brother is why we have this season. It's kind of a cluster of the things that, that we were happy with as bloggers, as, um, and I mean, all races on that, in um, people fans of the last two seasons. Um, if they happened with Jack, that season really put Big Brother in a bad light. Because the way Jack has treated the people in the cast and Jessica, she she's still I, I follow her, she follows me, and she still talks about it to this day. 
how she was called uh, taco, just all kind of, it was a bad season as far as, and nobody addressed it. CBS glossed over it. And then you have the next season with the whole thing with Christmas, even though it wasn't any slurs said or racist slurs said, it was looked at as racist the whole fight with Christmas, especially when Tyler came to her behind the scenes and was like, look, hey, you know, I want to go home, evict myself, evict. So, because at the time, the whole thing was happening with the summer, with the Black Lives Matter, all that was happening that summer. Mm -hmm. So Tyler was like, I want to go home so mm -hmm. these two ladies can stay or try to win or whatever. And the criminal was like, well, no. And then the producers came down. The producers came down and told Tyler, no, don't leave. That too, people of color looked at, okay, you're stopping him from going home. And he said the reason why. It was looked at as a racist thing. All of a sudden, they uh, they changed the one who was casting. She all of a sudden did not oh, work there anymore. Oh, okay. Yes. So that was a trigger. Go ahead, Tracy. I will I will say that you know the casting team did change on Big Brother this year, but on all reality shows and especially CBS reality shows, the network has the final say on all casts. So network executives at CBS didn't change. In the past, that was Les Moonves who would literally sit in on finals casting and approve the cast of Survivor and um, The Amazing Race and Big brother um so now it's i'm not sure exactly which executives or how high up it goes um, in terms of the entertainment division but it is always the network that makes those decisions so it's really important to find good people um which those casting producers are responsible for um but ultimately it comes down to network culture and i think one thing just about that in general is that and it's really good to change the representation on camera but what really needs to change on reality TV shows and in Hollywood is representation behind the camera. Mm -hmm. um, a few years ago, there was um, a repeated instances of sexual harassment on Survivor where there was unwanted touching from a male contestant onto multiple women. Oh, yeah. And camera operators and producers kept filming that and didn't intervene. And it's just a bunch of white men behind wow. the scenes who didn't do anything and didn't even, they, it didn't even occur to them that this would be a problem. And I think if you have more women, for example, behind the scenes, mm. more people of color behind mm. the scenes, you're going to have a better um, product for one because diversity makes for, again, yes. better entertainment, but you're also going to not, you know, constantly um, screw up as badly as these shows have done in the past. Or miss like total red flags that somebody more yes, sensitive exactly. would catch up on. Go ahead, Fritzi. Let, let me ask you a question about casting. I mean, these things are all about chemistry. And so do they start with one person and then cast the rest of the group around them in order for their, I mean, they, they, they can't have, this is really simplifying it, but they can't have two people of a similar, you know, as Weezy said, like an alpha male. They have to have, uh, they have to have uh, secondary players and primary players and, and fiery players and docile players. And is, is that a conscious decision or do they throw this group in there and see how the chemistry plays out? It's it's definitely conscious, like you're describing, um, but also I think that they, you know, they they literally do put people's faces on tables and then like rearrange them and try to just you know discern what combination is going to make the best uh, cast um, for all the CBS shows. The f they bring a final group of people to Los Angeles who spend about a week or 10 days in a hotel and go through just a battery of tests, medical, psychological, but also tons of interviews with producers and ultimately network executives too. And people I've talked to who've been through that process as cast members will talk about sort of seeing other people and you could they could tell that they're in competition. It's like, oh, you know, there's another, you know, nerdy gay guy. Uh, I'm, I'm like, that's, it's going to be one of us. It's not going to be both of us. Um, and 
it's rare. Sometimes both of them might end up on a show, but that is that is rare. Um, but it's interesting that even in that environment where they're picking the final cast, they don't allow the cast members to talk to each other. Yes. Um, and so there's this, like they certainly can communicate in nonverbal ways and maybe start forming impressions of each other, but they're not chemistry testing them against each other. It's sort of the sense that the producers, the casting team, and then of course the network executives um, have for what will make the best group. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're very wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do people sign? Do people sign NDAs? And do and when they come off the show, can they can they talk about whatever they want to talk about, or have they signed a non-disclosure and they really can't say everything that all went on? Well, I can actually speak for like um, own network. Like I cover a lot of reality shows over there, and um, I had some issues with one of the cast uh speaking to the pr i've always um interviewed the cast and i do know they sign an nda and most of the time i do not interview the cast until after the reunion because for a network the reunion is the big shebang and that's when all of the extra stuff is spilled the things we didn't see or whatever now after that most cast members it, it depend on the contract depend on the network they're able to you know go on and speak whatever like with cbs they're a very controlled environment like a lot of times you notice the cast they really only speak to certain places like they entertainment tonight uh usa or thing whatever and then um the alum of big brother um other networks you'll see them interview with you know any anybody and that paramount is also mixed in with cbs so it's it's like a big monster it's it's hard to penetrate that i'm trying myself i'm new on the block but other networks i might be able to penetrate like mtv which i know mtv and cbs are in bed together their, their companies are but i've actually interviewed um mtv cast but it's that was even hard mm -hmm. um and it was um after the show had kind of went off and they've had their reunion and all these things but even still you're supposed to get approved by um, the network at the end of the day, they can still say, you know, I don't want you interviewing with that blogger or whatever. It, mm -hmm. It's just, it's, it's tricky. It just depends on the network as well. It's going to say too. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. hard. Yeah. And um, 10 years ago, I actually published the big brother cast contract and you can go to reality blurred and, and read that. Mm -hmm. um, and 36 pages of, of legalese, including just, it says after one year, after the broadcast of the show, they're not permitted to do anything, make any kind of appearances or be in media without permission of the oh. network. So, but even after that expires, you know, they might, cast members might want to talk to people like us um, yeah. who are covering shows, but at the same time, they also might want to return for an all-star season. Mm -hmm. And so they might sort of still feel that kind mm -hmm. of obligation to the network or feel like there's other things that they just can't talk about because they're, they're fearing the, you know, the wrath of the network and uh, CBS is particularly bad with that, but um, check out the contract and just see if it's something you would sign. Of course, it might be slightly <laughs> different now, but um, right, right, right. it's fundamentally the same. I bet yeah. you Bachelor's kind of similar with, because uh, ABC is, this, I think it's kind of similar to what you're saying, CBS. It's hard to get any Bachelor's uh, on any of you. It's mm -hmm. the same thing. It'd be yeah. fun to find out how many people, when the show's over, remain friends. <laughs> or they stalk one another and it's an ugly situation for the rest of their lives. I life. mean, I think they've been through, it's kind of like being siblings that had the same parents, you know? I mean, they've been through something that no one else completely would would understand, which was their exact season of that show. So I think that probably for the most part, they stay in touch. And I know it seems like from the whole Bachelor family that people are all dating each other and trying to arrange to be on the bachelor in paradise together, even though they act like they're single and they, where yes. they get a lot of like Instagram followers and TikTok followers and stuff like that. Well, they're turning that into a story point this season where people are being caught on bachelor in paradise for you're you're here for all the wrong reasons, which is like that 
that definitely is a cliche, but it's actually kind of true. Like they're calling people out for like, you guys were arranging to be here together. You already dating. You're supposed to come here completely single. So yeah, it's Has all- that ever happened on Big Brother? Is there ever any sex on Big Brother where you go to the remote camera in the laundry room and two people are doing it on a dryer? Oh, the old school bird, the old school big brother. Oh Lord, it was because see back then it was so cool because they had the pop channel where I would have I would I was such a big brother fan. I wasn't a blogger then. I would literally <laughs> record my DVD. And I remember because pop would show it would literally record everything. It was no censoring, so nice. it would literally be like four or five hours. You remember that, Andy? Or just hours <laughs> of the the live feed, and you just watch every little thing, and they would get things would happen. You would catch it. Because they weren't censoring it. Oh, it See, so that's cool. a show right there. To me. Oh, no, they're under the covers doing all kinds of, like, there's infrared ca- cameras are fired up. It's, they, ah, on TV, they will cut that and give the idea, like, I think something all went on. But I don't watch yeah, a live yeah. feed, so <laughs> I assume that people need to touch themselves at a certain point during the summer, even without without a partner, right. you know what I mean? Just as a, a funny aside, um, you know, I, th- I think people are maybe more conscious now of the fact that they're being filmed, although even, you know, you definitely forget it after a while. Um, so maybe there's less of that than we have seen in the past. Um, but a few years ago, I interviewed the, the person who designs Big Brother's uh, house, like the, the interior of the soundstage and sort of redecorates it every year. And he was talking about sort of the challenges there of like making sure there's, you can't have a way for people to like spell things out to each other. So they have to actually verbalize them. So there can't be anything to write on or like a game of Scrabble because, or letters on the, on a piece of art, because then people could point at them. Um, but he also said that they had to like redesign um, a, a storage container that was in the backyard that held pool equipment because um, the contestants would go into that to masturbate. And uh, oh so they had to, they had to basically like change the, the, the structure of the house um, just to, to kind prevent of amazing uh, powers of concentration to pull that off. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, uh, either of you. Um, uh, now you said masturbating in the pool house, and I completely forgot what I was going to say. Sorry, I threw, threw it, it all It is off. a distraction. Oh, well, I'll think of it in a minute. Oh, oh, that's right. Andy, you brought this up. When they're, they, 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 There are certain ways they have to communicate. Um, that, I, first of all, I, I will say you can't tune this show on on. And like she she insisted that I watch the one last week because I, I haven't watched it much. You, you're lost. First of all, it took me 15 minutes to figure out what HOH meant. <laughs> oh, my God. And second of all, and I'm, I'm not a viewer, so maybe I'm a really okay, objective gotcha. third party. He doesn't have Big Brother as a first language. No, no. Uh, no, but, what, but, but I found an irritant to be, Andy, that that when they're whispering, you know, they go in the back room and they do these little confabs, they're whispering and you can't understand what they're saying in the whisper, but also when they're putting the, the lower third um, translation on there, it's going too fast. You can't read it. So you can't hear it and you can't read it. And I'm thinking, what's the point? I got frustrated. You got to jump in from the beginning and you got to understand what there's a lot of coded language that's built around the game. And they, they use, there's a a bunch of catchphrases that they use constantly uh, and it is it's in some ways the reality tv is is is, is very mature as a genre or, or genre or at least it's like it, you know it's in its 20s right now um and i think that there's a, a recognition from a lot of networks and producers that they're not trying to draw new people in they're trying to hold on to their fan bases mm-hmm. and and I get that. who can yeah. otherwise you know flee to go to one of the other million uh streaming services or other shows that are out there um so i think 
what you're describing actually makes it harder for new people to come in, but they're also then speaking the language of fans. And so, you know, I can tune in and I know exactly what's happening, even if I don't even know these players um, because I've watched the show for 20 years or followed it. Yeah. So, and it's, it's the an, best it's an example choice. of what an episodic show should do. It draws you into the next episode and you have to, you have to keep going with it. Yeah. yeah. Now, with something that people can understand are some of the documentaries that you recommend on your site, Andy. And one of the one of those that I invited Fritz to enjoy this week is called Lula Rich. Oh, I love that. And it's a bit about I don't know if you watched this one, Kamisha, but it's about a I mean, they don't want to call it a pyramid scheme, but it's like one of those companies where eventually they're just hiring people to hire people. And that's it. Yeah, they called um, yeah. it multi-level marketing, which is the legal way, but then the the government of the state of Washington proclaimed it a pyramid scheme, which is illegal, meaning people are selling stuff, but there are no products exchanging hands or something like that. Well, after a while, I mean, they, they once they, they get the uh, enough layers involved, they, they're seeing where the revenue is coming in. It's coming in from more people at the bottom purchasing the clothing. Because if you go down, 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 and everyone kind of like it looks like a family tree in the opposite direction where there's more and more grandkids, you, these people at the very, very bottom who are just ecstatic like it's treated like a club that it's hard to get into. And once you once they get in, they're more than happy to spend $5,000 on clothes, which they may or may not be able to sell. But after a while, you're just getting people to buy more clothing at the bottom. Do I have that right, Andy? I think basically, yeah. And it's a structure that's legal on some level because it still exists and it has not ever gone away. And we've had Amway and from Amway to, you know, everything. There's just, there's a ton of these types of things. And, and Lula Room was... <laughs> the big new one that sort of swept through Facebook. But of course, like some people are successful and then not everyone can be that successful. And I think the documentary does an excellent job um, or a documentary series of showing um, how people have gotten in into this, but also then like what their experience was versus what the founders say that the experience should be. And it just keeps like sort of building this case over time by just putting story after story on the screen of how this actually unfolded versus you know, here's what we talk about, or here's what I said in a deposition. Here's what I said in a uh, training call. Like I said, we need to, you know, like one of the trainers talks about like, we need to get away from being a pyramid scheme. And then in a, you know, deposition is sort of saying we're not a pyramid scheme. So it's a really effective documentary about Lula Rowe. Um, although I would say, as I wrote in my review, if you're interested in multi-level marketing, I can't highly recommend the podcast, The Dream more. Um, it's first season was about multi-level marketing and its history and the effects that it has and and the people that it takes advantage of um, and how it works in our culture. Um, so that's just a great companion piece. Um, but Lula Rich does a good job of, of telling the story of Lula Rowe, the company. Let, let, let me ask you, um, do you think Deanne and Mark, who are the founders of this company, knew that this was going to end up not being a completely complimentary documentary or they started out to make an infomercial for Lula Rowe and then women started getting really, really honest about halfway through this thing. And I thought, wow, is this the way this was supposed to go? It's a good question. Um, I, at the very end of the series, there's a title card that says Mark and Deanne didn't um, respond to a request for a second or didn't didn't agree to a second interview so all the footage in the four episodes comes from one interview but they're also very much they're willing to answer the questions and they're asked really hard questions i think during that time um at one point mark even says like i don't think my lawyer would like me saying this but here we go um and 
they I think they see it as a chance to tell their story. And it feels like, at least to me, that the documentary has included their story. Again, I'm sure there's plenty that was left out just because it has to be compressed for time. But um, I'm guessing they might have sort of had some... Uh, you know, second thoughts after filming was over or maybe because of circumstances changing legally or otherwise. But um, I'm glad they agreed to do it. Uh, and and clearly they, you know, answered the questions and didn't weren't evasive or anything. So that's that was surprising, but it's also what makes a good TV. Yeah. And it's like what they're selling, it, what they tapped into is people's desire to be a part of something that feels like a family, that feels exciting. You know, you can stay at home and raise your kids and still be a business person and still have something of your own. Fashion is exciting to a lot of women. Women who choose to have children, they have them in those 20 years when they would be making the most gains in their career at the in their 30s and 40s. You know, that's when men really kind of make a name for themselves if they're going to thrive in the workplace. And women who choose to have a family, it's really tricky trying to do both to... Yep, I think that's exactly the psychology the show taps into, exactly what you're saying right there. They feel productive. They don't feel like they've written the rest of their lives off as just a mom, which is the most important thing. But, you know, especially today when... Um, you know, women have more equality than they did in the 50s. Like my father thought it was an embarrassment that my mother wanted to have a job. It's not that anymore. So I think women are, have this little hole in their soul wondering if they could be productive. And this gives them a chance to do it. I think that's exactly right, Louise. Yeah. And there's a portion of your day where you just want to talk to a grown up, and they're, and they're all in this together and they're a sisterhood and they're sharing in this and it's an adventure and it's exciting. And, you know, and the the people that run this company – are very good at putting incentives in place where you can measure yourself against each other. It's a gamification of business, just like Big Brother is a game, you know, that's ex exciting for us to watch as the, as the winner emerges. This is a game, too, where you can see how well you're doing and, and every month try to do better. Um, and we're all drawn to those types of incentives and those types of challenges. And they really tapped into that and took advantage of people. And I think people too just really want community and connection and they've found mm -hmm. that um, through LuLaRoe, we find that through watching reality TV shows and, and talking about them together and and people on reality TV shows find that community and, and form alliances. And I think maybe that's the kind of through line here is that that's really what people want is, is that sense of connection. And it's interesting that television can both, you know, provide that for us and also offer a window into how it works for other people, whether mm -hmm. that's on Big Brother or Lula Rich, as different as those properties are. Yeah. And social media is the is the driving force behind that. You know, um, they they didn't dwell on this, but there were indications of cult-like behavior in this thing. First of all, uh, Mark started to uh, throw mormon scripture out at some of these mass meetings that they would have that people began to notice and became a little uncomfortable with and they started getting people to feel uncomfortable with their physical selves we were talking women into going down to mexico to tijuana to get uh, liposuction and get the gastric bypass surgeries because they were trying to get women to fit this model so it's just it, it they didn't dwell on it but it seemed a little cultish to me or like just controlling and in, in, yeah, in, yeah. in ways that you know a dysfunctional relationship would yeah. 
you know, would be toxic. I don't know if they were worried about their brand or they were just being controlling. They're trying to be, I think they're trying to, yeah, both. Because I know that she would kind of scold people that were walking down the hallway not wearing the brand or, you know, try and control the way people presented themselves to the world. Or when you went online, if you were having fun, you had to put hashtag LulaRoe, thanks to LulaRoe. Like she had to get credit for absolutely everything that happened good in your life. She had to get credit for. It was a little nutty. So before we close, I thought maybe, um, Kamisha, we could talk about the bachelor in paradise and how this year they're building storylines around people who are trying to up their brand by going on a reality show it seems like it's come full circle where they're actually calling people out on the very thing that we knew it was all about in the first place yeah it was a little strange um it was two couples and the reason why i called out one of them i was like i i never understood why um they were so Jacinia, they were so busy. They got so aggressive with Jacinia. And I was like, well, did we forget about what happened? The, the, the first couple with everything that happened with Piper and all that. But the whole gist of it is, you know, they're at home and social media is, a, you know, it's a way to make money now, especially if you've been on reality TV. It is your brand. It's not like you can go nine to five. I mean, you can, but once you leave reality TV show, that is your brand and your bread and butter. And so Piper was talking about it. Brendan, they were talking about saying that, oh, we have new followers and now that we're on here. We're going to get new, more followers. So as far as Brendan and Piper, they were dating, you know, before they came to the show. And so it was like, okay, Brendan was just finding a woman that's in the house that doesn't have anybody um, and dating her for a little bit just until Piper came. That's exactly what he did. As soon as she came in, it was like they never stopped. They was, you know, most time people come in the house to take the time to have a conversation. I remember they sat at the table to eat dinner before they could even eat a piece of bread. They was over there making out. So it was very <laughs> obvious. It was it was very obvious he was waiting for her, and it happened twice. The second time it was a coup where the entire or well, half the cast, Riley, all of them was like, "Hey, you guys are here for free." I remember Joe. Uh, uh, got upset and you're here for free a free vacation and we're trying to find love get out and all this i'm like if the show is not saying anything because to me i didn't see any because i mean of course it's drama but um the one that's hosting the bartender or whatever and have guests celebrity does nobody came in and said hey you know you guys you know we're faking it you guys are out of here because i believe in the older version they would have done that but because it's drama and it brings people to the show they just let it go they what about go. the people what about the people that came having a relationship before they got to the show doesn't yeah. that misrepresent yeah that's what didn't we're they talking violate about the contract? That's what we're saying but yeah. they didn't the show didn't interrupt it because it brought a lot of drama about oh, okay. treating it as a storyline fritz they're yes. saying yeah oh, wow. leave it in and let people at home th- see this as a yes. development and like have their own opinions which causes people to go online and talk about something yep. but the yes. thing that upset me the most really about the way brendan behaved was that, you know, I can't remember the name of the young lady that he was dating and he wanted, he, you have to, you get voted off the island if you're not there when his girlfriend shows up. He had to latch on to somebody and be with yep. her until his Piper shows up. And meanwhile, when Piper shows up, he's like, yes, I'd like, you know, he tells his girlfriend, I'd like to go on a date with Piper. Wink, wink. Like he's already dating Piper. Yes. But then he sits there and says like, who, this girl, who was she going to date? She wasn't going to date anybody if she didn't date me. Like what? What are you talking about? She's beautiful. <laughs> Natasha and Natasha. Natasha. And you're you're saying that if she wasn't in love with you for the first four weeks, she wouldn't have dated somebody else. Like who are you to say that? That that really ticked me off. 
It did. It was awful. It was awful the way he spoke about her. He spoke about her like she wasn't going to get anybody. And if it wasn't for me, she wouldn't even be on the show. And so when they actually gave her the, the rose and decided not to send her home, because in actuality, she was going home. Nobody had any romantic anything with her. She hadn't been because she put all her eggs in the in She one put all her eggs in the Brendan basket. Yeah. yeah. So she didn't have any other <laughs> options. So she was going home until he was like, hey, we're going to give them the chance and blah, blah, blah. And it was actually a touchy moment, but um, it was kind of sad. He trashed her pretty bad. I was like, ooh, this is gross. But then they ran them out of town. The whole team, you know, the Joe Brigade <laughs> says, you people need to leave the island. Like, you're not here for the right reason. So it's been an interesting season of uh, oh, Bachelor. Free, free, free vacation. Yeah, free but, vacation. We, you know, we watch and uh, Wells can make me a martini. I'll, I'll sip it there. Before we go, <laughs> let me ask you one question. How many hours of television do you guys watch a week? Mm. Oh, my God. <laughs> My phone told me recently, I can't remember. I watch a lot of TV. I work overnight. I work 14 hours. My manager overnight. Ooh. And so on my break and in my lunches, I watch TV. Mm-hmm. When I get off of work, um, if I don't have an interview, I have like four or five shows that I blog about and I upload them to my software and then I edit them and I post them. So I'm watching TV constantly. My parents, my parents, my mother and my children constantly come at me like, can I have a conversation? Because I'm constantly like this. <laughs> It's your job. It's the same. So, yeah. Wow, that's a yes. long day. What about you, Andy? It is. I think you know. I, do, I don't. I don't count it. I probably would be scared if I did. But it's probably also <laughs> less than you would imagine. Um, only because at this stage in reality TV, there is so much. It's impossible to watch it all. And so mm. I kind of think of some of the work that I do now as like trying to find the gems uh, in the new stuff that's coming out. So I'll mm-hmm. give new things some attention um, at, as they come out. But after that, like there's a lot of same old, same old. And so I don't need to watch every HGTV show to know what it is because they're pretty much all the same thing, for example. Um, so I'll, I'll watch the shows that I love um, and that really do continue to give me joy, whether that's Holy Moly or Survivor um, or, you know, other, or a new documentary series like Lula Rich that I've checked out and, and given that a shot. But um, I don't, you know, I think I'd probably watch. And, and the, the other thing too is like, uh, I feel like I watch uh, a lot of comfort TV. So I watch a lot of scripted stuff just to get away from the quote unquote work of mm-hmm. reality TV. So and yeah. this past year, yeah, since yeah. it's been a, you know, uh, hellhole uh, for all of us. Um, I've just watched a ton of Golden Girls uh, just to relax and kind of escape. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's best soothing. Show yeah. on TV. That's soothing. And what do you guys think about the, uh, the uh, Real Housewives franchise? Oh, I don't do those. None of them. I've never been a fan. I, I'm sorry. I don't Same know why. Either. Same. Never, I have not been. I, I'm more of a. Um, I was like watching real, real road rules. I wanted to see somebody get in the dirt and and and, and try to gun the rope and and, and fighting because who's gonna be who's the, who's the power? Who's going home today? I don't like you. You're going home. You know that was my thing. You know? Oh my gosh, that's so funny you know, for sure. No, I I uh, shout out to road rules, which I miss, and is coming back yes. someday, uh, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, uh, Real Housewives like. I don't watch most of the franchises. There's too much of it. Um, I've watched most consistently the New York um, version and just they've I've kind of like followed along those storylines. It's basically a soap opera with real people. Um, and you're more likely to see a slap fight in the Real Housewives of New York. Oh, no, no, not at all. Actually, that's the, they're just they're the one New York I've liked because they tend to make a big deal out of nothing. <laughs> they're a bunch of you know, rich white women who have nothing better to do than to get really mad at each other for tiny little perceived slights. And somehow I find that entertaining, I guess. I'm Um, with you. And then I get mad. We'll give just 
just to give the Housewives franchise and Bravo has a ton of problems with representation and uh, the way they've edited stories and everything else. But I'll give them one bit of credit, which is that the Real Housewives shows are one place on TV where you'll see women over the age of 40 um, and oh, multiple women. And, of, and that's something that is rare. And so um, they need to do a better job in many ways. But uh, I think it's it's I think that might be one of the reasons why the Real Housewives kind of gets flack is because people just dismiss shows that are either for or about older women. Um, and that's I that's too bad. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yes. All right. Fritz, tell people where they can find us. And I will do that. If you enjoyed this episode and how could you not of Media Path, it would help us to be more discoverable by potential new viewers, people who haven't heard us yet. If you leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're new here and this is the first time with us, please check out our back catalog. You may even find us binge-worthy. Recent episodes include Gary Puckett, The Cow Sills, Keith Morrison, Henry Winkler, Bill Medley, Mark Summers, Richard Sturban, The Livingston Brothers from My Three Sons, Diane Warren, Tony Dow, Bill Moomy. I mean, the list goes on Running and on. Running out of breath there. I know. Uh, going back to the very beginning, you're going to hear exciting interviews with lots of people that you love and who have been a part of your life since you were a child. Thank you for spending an hour with us, and we would be overjoyed if you took a moment to share your thoughts with us or recommend us to a friend. Subscribe and give us a five-star review and we love you for it. We would love for you to join us online on Instagram and Twitter where we are at MediaPathPod and on Facebook where we are MediaPathPodcast. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, MediaPathPodcast. We would love to know what media you've been enjoying. You can contact us at our social media or email us at MediaPathPodcast at gmail. Dot com. We want to thank our guests, Kamisha Reviews and Andy Dennert. We're going to have show notes that tell you how you can find all of their wonderful content. Our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesco Demanda, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filipiak, Thomas Hubble, Mason Brown, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Maddox. I am Louise Planker, here with Fritz Coleman, and we will see you along the media path. I did. I'm, I'm blown away <laughs> at, at the at the detail and how you.